um, interesting. Okay. Um, all right. Okay. So welcome to the Inside Out Life podcast, where each episode we hope to bring you personal growth tips, inspire better life for you, share powerful stories, and spark you to take brave steps forward. My name is Bo Madrid, and I will be leading our discussion alongside Barry Samuel, the founder of Inside Out Studio in Toronto. Hey, Bo. Hi. <laughs> Hello, and it is with great pleasure that I introduce our two guests for today, um, counselor and coach Melanie Craig, as well as Lynn Brewer, who is a social worker specializing in chronic disease management. So I'd like to thank you all for joining us here today. Um, maybe you could tell us a little more about yourselves and what you do. So maybe we could start with Lynn, if you'd like Absolutely. to. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Bo. Hi, Barry. Good to see you. So my name is Lynn Brewer, and I'm coming at you from the Detroit, Michigan suburban area. And I spend most of my time working with and for older adults to help them manage their health better. And that includes everything from mental health, physical health, cognitive health. That's great. Awesome. And uh, I'm Melanie Craig. Hi, everyone. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast today. Um, I am a clinical counselor, uh, registered social worker, working in the rehabilitation sector mostly. So um, a lot of my clients, a big portion of them, are people who are recovering from a, a serious motor vehicle collision, um, and which has affected them in many ways. Some uh, living with brain injuries, some are living with uh, cognitive, obviously cognitive impairments, um, potential mental health issues, as well as physical disability, like some have um, lost a limb or some are dealing with serious injury. Um, so I basically help them and their families cope with living with life post collision. And I also um, have uh, private practice dealing with um, a wide variety of mental health concerns. Okay, great, thank you so much. Um, so basically today, broadly speaking, we're sort of going to be discussing the implications of the COVID pandemic on people's mental health, definitely more in general, but there are a few things that we're gonna be talking about today. So maybe I'll just like start by asking what has lockdown and stay at home life been like for you and your family, just for everyone here, if anybody wants to share. Sure, I can share. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, as well as obviously being a mental health professional, I'm also a mom and I have three teenage girls um, living with me. And so I would say for us, um, it's, it's been a mixed situation. Um, in some ways, it's really um, helped us focus on home life and kind of what we can do in our little sphere of reference that we have within our own physical health and mental health and home life to kind of bring as much joy and enhancements and growth that we possibly can within the things mm -hmm. that we have been able to control. But I can tell you um, it's been hard on the teenagers, really hard just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because school's been online. So the social opportunities have narrowed significantly and the opportunities for physical um, health and movement have also been significantly restricted just because in the context of daily life, the opportunity to move around is, is shrunk. So um, yeah, it's just, it's been hard now two summers with, with no camp and uh, no kind of 
natural ways to live life in a physical way, I think that has had a huge impact on um, my kids' physical and mental health. Right. No, I feel exactly the same way. So I'm a university student and I've sort of been going back and forth, going to school in Montreal and living at home in Vancouver, just for more of like a comfort thing. I felt a lot more centered when I was with my family. It's definitely been lonely at times. It's sort of hard to, once all the distractions are of like daily life are kind of gone, like it's hard to kind of feel like, oh, what is it exactly that I want to do? What am I going to do with my day? Like it's definitely a lot harder, especially with the stress of online school. It's definitely been tough for sure. So I can relate to that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From my perspective, our, our family dynamics changed quite a bit because we, we have two adult children in twenties, right? And so one mm-hmm. was away college Well, colleges shut down the pandemic. Um, my son had lived out of state for many years, but had just moved back to Michigan right before the pandemic. So he was home to find a place. And so we went from being empty nesters to a family of four again. And so that could have gone any number of ways, but I feel pretty lucky from my perspective, it's gone very smoothly. I think, especially when it was very scary initially, I had a lot of comfort knowing everybody was under one roof. I could see that everybody was well and and good. I think it's been tough on them though, because I do a lot of working from home, even in the evenings, I teach at the school Mm -hmm. social work in the evening and I give um, some presentations. So I think they have to be more quiet, right? Around the house than they Mm -hmm. would if they had their own space or if we weren't doing everything on Zoom. But other than that, I think everybody's adapted and adjusted. Mm -hmm. No, that's, I feel feel the same way coming home and I spent most of my first semester um, actually back at home and my brother's in high school and my dad actually lives in, so I live in Vancouver, but my dad, predominantly lives in Manila, Philippines. So all four of us were back together under the same roof at a time that we normally wouldn't be. It's definitely been a challenge, but I'm, I'm glad I was able to spend that time, but it was really interesting for sure. But I'm thankful that it happened though. Definitely feeling lucky. Yeah, for sure. And I'll just weigh in on this uh, as well. It's, it's uh, so interesting to hear the broad spectrum of, you know, uh, offspring returning back home or trying to, uh, uh, to, to manage uh, in, in tighter quarters where everybody's home more often in, in Melanie's case with her family. For myself, I'd say, I, <clears throat> pardon me, even though I haven't seen a, a lot of my family um, <clears throat> uh, in person, obviously like most of us that, you know, if we're, unless we're living with them, the relationships, though, on the flip side, uh, as as one silver lining, that was uh, a term that we used in the first wave, the first year, um, to, to borrow that one more time, is I found that the relationships become uh, a little bit more intimate, they become uh, deepened. Uh, so that's been a really lovely thing that's uh, come out of this um, um, unspeakable time. You know, uh, it's just, you know, I, if, if you imagine that you, you, somebody just, an, an alien just arrived on earth and could speak our language and we could communicate to them, what would you tell them about what we're experiencing right now? I think it's difficult for us to really put it into words, but that's sort of maybe uh, a little bit late, later, we'll, we'll talk about that. I think that we've been, we've been going through this, but 
Um, yeah, it's just interesting to compare geography, um, you know, and that we're all, we are all kind of in this together in some ways. In other ways, everybody's dealing with it differently too, like on a high, higher political leadership level mm -hmm. as well. It's, it's interesting when you, when you were saying that just now, it brought to mind that um, living through this experience kind of shakes up things that we as humans had taken for granted for so long. Right. Just take for granted that we can go out and run an errand or, you know, go to a store or go on a vacation if we have the ability. Just certain that we'd see friends, have dinners. Like this is all the just basic kind of network and fabric of our daily lives. All of a sudden, whoosh, it's 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 up for question. And so I think and, and I know you may be wanting to touch on this later on in discussion, but for me, very this this speaks very closely to trauma. It's like similar to the clients that I work with that have been in car accidents. People drive every day thinking they're safe and they've never been in an accident. Once they once they've been in an accident, they realize really how potentially vulnerable they are on a daily basis when they go out. Um, well, really, it shakes up everything that we've taken for granted about feeling um, just natural about our lives, about the institutions that we take for granted the patterns that we have in our lives, the connections we have with things. And all of a sudden, I think that the profoundness of what this means to us, uh, we haven't fully digested yet. I couldn't agree more, Melanie. And, and I think for all of us, it's been over a year, we have found ways to adapt. We are in whatever our current normal is. But I think you're right. I think anybody who was alive, maybe over the age of two, you know, able to recognize differences before and after really is living through trauma and, and has some grieving to do. I don't know that we were able to grieve the loss of what used to be normal because we were too busy putting one foot in front of another, right? Helping people that needed that help, helping ourselves, you know, in our spare time. But one of the things that's really just emerging is that we need to do that grieving. We need to process it in whatever way we process, whether that's talking to a friend, talking to our family, talking to a mental health professional, because it's, it's in there and it's impacting us. Yeah. And if we can look at it and feel it, then we can come out more resilient for it, you know, rather than having had the trauma just change us in ways that we might not have chosen. Yeah, and I feel like because um, at least um, speaking from the position of, of someone living in Canada, where we're still very much in the thick of things, that I feel like what you're saying about the, the processing 100% needs to happen. But for a lot of us, perhaps in Canada, we're still doing that process of just figuring out the daily because we are still very much restricted and potentially vulnerable and figuring out how to keep ourselves and our families safe. So we haven't I don't think we've kind of given out that sigh yet of, of, okay, let me just figure out what this means. Let me figure out how to express it to someone I trust to get the support because we're still really just coping with the daily. And I think, it's, and this has felt, I feel more, maybe more profoundly for those, those people um, in the older stages of life for, to a certain extent, because they're, they realize how finite potentially their, their time could be and they're, they're, every moment really does count. I mean, it counts for everybody equally, but I think perhaps at that stage of life, you feel what that means. And then also for those who are going through passages, like for example, I can feel for my teenagers, you know, missing the graduations, 
missing the rights of life if you have um, you know certain things that you mark that mark certain age and stage uh, categories just missing out on those life lifetime accomplishments um, and uh, just missing out on a section of your life that will never come back again. Um, and so for all of us, it does happen, but maybe there's certain stages and ages that, um, that that's felt more significantly. I don't know what you think about that. Well, I just wonder if there's any solace we can take with knowing that this period that we're living in right now let's say happens once every hundred years. Um, and this is a quasi adventure, if we wanna frame it that way as a way of coping through it. Uh, mm -hmm. Imagine what your journal looks like. Imagine what your time capsule looks like. Um, I think these are opportunities to kind of, um, you know, really uh, turn the toxicity, the anxiousness a little bit on its head um, with some optimism. Uh, and it, of course, it, it all depends on whether patients, whether, uh, you know, neighbors, family are, are, are willing to be open to that concept. Easier said than done. Yeah, and I think you need to be in a, in a certain position in order to do that. You need to be in a safe harbor first. And I think for yeah. a lot of a lot of the world, perhaps I would even say, yeah. and in, even if you happen to be in that in that corner of the world where you feel in a safe harbor, ready to take on that perspective, um, because of the news and everything like that, where that reality is presented to us, where it, it really is not happening, a lot of people feel. Um, I would say that a lot of people may not be in a position to process it in that way yet. I think later on, definitely. But right now, a lot of people are still experiencing really what this what this is happening, what this is doing to their lives, and that and just getting through it right now, um, and focusing on well being in the present and taking care of oneself, focusing on the self care, you know, the proper physical and mental habits to practice in the here and now, is is, is I feel like for those people maybe the best way through it until you're able to get to the safe harbor where you can reframe and kind of process it long-term. I don't know what you guys, what you would think about that. Well, and, and that's where we're all different, right? We're all different in terms of our own resiliency, in terms of how our brains are wired. Michigan, I can't speak for Canada, Michigan is the worst in the United States for the coronavirus update and has, has been for a couple of months. So I'm not trying to say that we are in a safe harbor because we are not. But we've been using our self-care in so many ways this entire time. And I feel that some people are beginning to recognize that they have to start doing that work because that safe harbor is not right around the corner. It's not something we can say if I only hold on another month, right? We're still looking at, ooh, we're holding on as long as we need to hold on. So what do I need to attend to that I couldn't before, right? This crisis was too new. It was all about where do I get groceries and where can I find disinfectant and, and how can I keep my family physically safe in the moment, right? And so now that we have adapted some habits to ensure our safety. I'm, my sister lives very close. I haven't seen her in 15 months, right? Except on Zoom. We've, you know, 
for us, part of that self-care is saying, I can't keep holding this inside anymore. You know, I can't smile as if everything is okay. We need to look, you know, that, so that's where it's coming from. And so I think I might feel that way. My best friend might not, right? And we live in the same area. It's, it's all about what do we need right now in order to get by and in order to thrive in the best way that we can. And I think if there's a theme, Barry, you were saying, what would you tell an alien who was coming? I would say the theme is self-care, right? And it's a mm -hmm. good thing that there's so many different self-care techniques and strategies, because I don't know how we'd be getting through without that. No, I completely agree as well. Dealing with precarity is has been definitely been really tough, but um, just based on that, like what unique observations does anyone here have to share about how you've started to take care of your mental health differently? Has it been sort of the same like since before the pandemic or have you found sort of like there were different mechanisms that you needed to take on in order to, to deal with, with this whole thing? Like, is there anything significant? Well, and as this has evolved, um, I'll just give you my comment on that. As, as it's evolved, I think, the importance of attention to mental health obviously uh, is increasing hence you know here we are gathered talking and hoping that maybe we'll make a small difference for someone out there and i think that's that's the you know if we were to pinpoint it it is talking is the thing is you know just as lynn said you know you know putting on that the the bravado that or, or like i've got it all together um on an earlier podcast not too long ago uh, my kind of brave share was that you know what like i even though i'm kind of in a position of of guidance for others i want to be honest with myself is that uh, I, I feel like i'm having moments where i'm breaking as well um and so i think we've all kind of arrived at that that uh, at varying points at this point during the third wave of the second calendar year uh, going through this. But and I, I really think that that's the key is that we continue to talk with each other, with family, with mental health professionals, with mentors. Uh, and um, as you know, to borrow uh, Melanie's term is to seek out that safe harbor uh, if we don't feel safe, if we don't feel like um, we're uh, safe from judgment as well, then uh, it's going to be a difficult road and a downward spiral. Yeah, no, at the same time, it's important to acknowledge that, you know, self-help techniques and like having access to professionals, being able to talk to people and to slow everything down is definitely a, a privilege for those who can, because I'm just like thinking of all those people that I've had no time to just really sit there and like think and like process about what this all means when you just have to be on your feet constantly trying to think of ways to survive. So that's definitely another thing to keep in mind. So yeah, yeah. if I can add to that as well is that what um, I think this pandemic has highlighted some for a lot of people, what may be intuitive to most of us is the connection between physical health and mental health and how important it is when you're thinking about putting forth effort into caring for your mental health is understanding that if you care for your physical health, that's also mm -hmm. to a large extent can be caring for your mental health. You know, getting out for that walk, you know, if you're allowed to, you know, having a routine in your day where you're, there's some activity where it means caring for your, nutri your nutrition. And the act of doing those things 
is an act of self-love and self-nurturing. And so you have the, the result of the actual physical act itself and the fact that it's, it's symbolic, it's caring for, it's nurturing that on top of it. So you're, you're kind of getting a double, double edge, um, double whammy with your effort to care for your mm -hmm. physical health. In addition to obviously seeking out support and talking to someone you trust, um, you know, and actual having that communication as well. Well, uh, you know, and across different generations, we're handling this a little bit different, uh, differently. Um, uh, you know, as professionals, we, we observe that and we deal with that firsthand. Um, Lynn, uh, what interaction have you had with the elderly? I'd be interested to hear and, and maybe what's that been like for you to watch and interact with? Absolutely. And I think that like any generation, older adults have been having a wide range of reactions. There are some who were very fearful, feeling so vulnerable because they were the first group to be thought at the greatest risk, right? Even something like going to the grocery store properly masked, you know, was not recommended. And so there were scarcity issues to deal with. How could people get what they needed? Um, but there was another group of older adults that, that, you know, were veterans or had lived through other worse experiences in the past who showed resiliency that we all learned from with an attitude of we've been through worse before, at least we're safe in our homes and not everyone has that as an option. So we've seen the spectrum. I think the biggest issue that we hear most consistently is loneliness, whether it's an older adult living in their home who's not able to see their children, their grandchildren. And as Melanie said a few moments ago with awareness of maybe having precious few years left to, to lose a year and a half is, is very painful for them. Even those that had moved to senior housing buildings just so they could have community, right? Have communal dining, have access to activities. Even that all came to a, grounding, a grinding halt. So loneliness was very much a challenge. We found that that also caused older adults to be eating less that when they were eating in the dining room with friends, they would take their time eating because it was a social activity for them. But eating alone in their apartment, they might open a yogurt and call it dinner. And so that again gets to that connection between mental health and physical health. Then we heard more frailty, balance issues, core strength declining. So kind of a little bit of running the gambit. But I will say to go back to the silver linings that I think both of you had mentioned before, Many older adults have learned competencies that they thought themselves not capable of, like learning how to be on Zoom, learning how to use computers. And that's really opened up their world. They're able to pop in on socialization groups and virtual senior center activities to help counteract that loneliness and social isolation. That's, that's really uh, somewhat reassuring and heart, heartwarming. I mean, it's just, it's a scary proposition for no matter who you are. And um, what struck me too in, uh, you know, coming to deal with uh, my, my own management of this situation is that, you know, we want to be around somebody with a bit of a steady hand. Um, and uh, because, you know, people are slightly panicked. Um, um, but I, I think by and large, um, you know, each region has done, you know, its level best to uh, 
you know, to convey a message, communicate to, to their, you know, constituents and, and cities that, uh, you know, uh, we're continuing to do the updates uh, and, you know, try to be honest with you about where we're at. So I think, I think that's good. But, you know, for the elderly, like I, I worry, as we all do, um, just generally and uh, just when, when also that you hear about uh, when, when you get the inside perspective within uh, the hospitals and the medical centers about how they're prioritizing, you know, who gets care in these times. Yeah, it's something so painful to think about. I don't think any of us could have imagined living in the countries that we live in, that that would ever be an issue about who gets the care that they need. I think the one of the more painful aspects for many, many people, it just feels remiss to not bring it up in this context of, of mental health impacts is people who have lost someone during this pandemic. The, the change to rituals, you know, the fact that funerals needed to be private and mourners had to be in isolation instead of having everyone gather around them is something that, that has impacted many, many people. And so you can, almost, you can almost define people who have been spared those sorts of losses from people who have been living with them because even our traditions and culture around how we grieve and how we mourn was, you know, had to be done in isolation. Yeah. And for people who may have pre-existing mental health challenges, mm -hmm. this whole idea of, um, well, trust in reality, which, which I mentioned earlier, but also trust in our institutions, trust in government, trust in world geopolitics. There's a lot of, um, shakiness people are feeling even people that don't have mental health challenges but people that already have issues kind of trusting um big institutions like governmental institutions world health organization not to name specific organizations but um just the idea of that like what can we actually count on what can we believe how do we believe who do we believe so um it adds just extra extra layers and then like you said um not having the, the kind of structure of cultural norms and, and, and traditions to fall back on. Um, it just really blows everything out of the water for a lot of people. So I feel like, I feel like people who are able to focus on their self-care and maintaining their physical and mental health by acts of self-love to themselves and to their families, and the people in their own milieu, small milieu, are doing okay if they're able to do that. But afterwards, there's a lot of work to be done on the deep-seated trauma that people are going to continue to, to have to process. Um, and if people are able to process it, start processing it now, that's great. But a lot of people are still kind of coping with, dealing with, how can I get through this? What do I need to do today to maintain my mental health and, those, and the mental health of my family? Um, but I feel like we have a lot of work to do in supporting those around us in our communities to kind of process this trauma and get past it in the best way possible. Yeah, no, for sure. Thanks so much for that insight. Um, I definitely agree. I'm just going to interject a little bit to remind um, our listeners of why we're here today. And so uh, at the Inside Out Life podcast, each episode we do, we hope to bring you personal growth tips 
inspire a better life for you, share powerful stories, and spark you to take brave steps forward. Again, thank you so much to our two guests today, Melanie and Lynn, who are both in social work. Um, yeah, so this is a good segue to another thing that I'd like to discuss. Um, sorry, <laughs> one second. Um, seeing as it's the third wave of the virus pretty much at, at this point, do you believe or do you believe that the shock of everything or the initial the initial shock will wear off or when do you think that'll happen or um do you have any thoughts on that well i think you know uh, and i'll just jump in real uh, briefly here you know we've been talking about trauma and i think that here we are in the in the third wave and once again we'll say it in terms of our timestamp, so to speak of uh you know second second year um, uh, it's, and, and as Melanie was discussing about how we're going to unpack our tra trauma and, and reconcile that and, and some people sort of being able to navigate and cope with that. Um, I think fundamentally, given that we're in the age of anxiety, which has been exacerbated by a pandemic, um, you know, for us to get to a clear state of mind, um, ultimately is going to require a little bit less distraction. So, you know, how, how do we, what, what tools do we draw upon to enable us to get into that mental state? Because it's only at that point you know, I feel that uh, people are going to be set up for that kind of success to um, be able to reconcile where we've been, how we feel about it, um, how it's affected me. And um, now I feel like I can, I can take one healthy step forward. Um, I don't know uh, mm -hmm. if you have anything else to, if you have anything to add as well, but I would just say like starting from the most basic is um, creating a sense of safety and security around one's own little sphere of reference, whether it's one's home or one's community is, it has to start from a feeling of pe people feeling safe and healthy and able to take, enable to have the, the safety and the security to be able to expand their frame of reference a little bit to, to have a sense of freedom. Because if people, don't, if people know they have the freedom to do something, but they don't feel safe enough or secure enough to exercise that freedom, um, then they're not gonna do it. People have to first feel safe enough and secure enough and stable enough in where they're at, in their own home, in their own community, in their home city, um, in order to exercise those freedoms. And I think people really want to, they want, they want a summer, they want break, they want mm -hmm. the ability to just let out a sigh and just, be okay and 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 not have to double think everything, you know, and uh, just kind of get a sense of I, I can take, I can go to a restaurant or I can go for a walk or I can uh, do some of the things that I used to do before, have a family over for a meal. But until people feel safe and secure, even if they have the freedoms, they're not going to feel really comfortable and relaxed exercising those freedoms. And I think that it's going to take a tremendous amount of compassion, compassion for ourselves, 
because we all have the same underlying stress. And so we might say or do something in a way that we wish we wouldn't have, right? So be forgiving and compassionate with ourselves, but also for everyone that we interact with, I don't know where the Toronto area and other parts of Canada are with vaccination. Um, vaccination is rolling out here, yeah. So it's interesting because it brings some reduction in anxiety and fear, but it is not a panacea, right? Nothing is 100% effective. Nothing is clear with variants, right? And so what the vaccination brings is questions, a lot of questions. What am I ready to do? What can I feel safe doing? And what I might feel safe doing might be much less than my neighbor or friend or family feels safe doing. They're not clear yeses and nos. And so I think we all need to have a lot of like a judgment-free zone for every for 50 people to have 50 different responses to what it's okay to do and what it's still not okay to do. And unfortunately, we still have that same interdependency, right? Someone might say, I've been vaccinated, you've been vaccinated, so we don't need to wear masks if we're together indoors. Well, if one person won't wear the mask, but the other person says, I don't feel safe without you wearing a mask, there's gonna be so much about this social reentry um, that, that we all need to really have a, a compassionate lens for as well. Yeah, and, and that, that reminded, what you said just now reminded me of just the idea that, um, you know, that we feel safe because we live in, say, for example, North America or, or the, that, the more, you know, the developed, developed nations, if you want to call them that, that we trust that, um, you know, higher levels of organization like government are going to make decisions that will be protective of us. Um, you know, enhancing our, our well-being, our sense of safety and security. And so if, if that's been shaken up in any way, we might still have a sense of anxiety about what's going to happen the next time, or what if there's a war, or, you know, how can I trust that, you know, the right decisions are going to be made in the, in the first couple of um, stages of this crisis that won't impact my life so drastically for the next two years that I'm going to be living under a rock. So it's just like, I think that some of us living in, in countries such as the United States and Canada may have had a sense of trust that, you know, something like this should happen. For example, they'll stop the flights, you know, no more viruses coming in, you know, or, you know, if, 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 if someone, if there should be an explosion or something should happen, there'll be a shield around us, protecting us from infiltration of weaponry or whatever is happening. But there's been, there's been kind of a shakeup of this. So even when we have the vaccines, like you said, there's questions and there's questions about, am I really protected? Do I really feel safe with the way things are right now? Um, can I go about my life even after the, the big storm is gone, knowing that things will be on the balance okay? Well, there's questions about that. And so I think for, it affects our mental health and, and it continue, will continue to affect our mental health likely for, for the foreseeable future. Um, and we'll have to continually, you know, continually kind of tend to that and process that and heal from that. But I don't think there's a point at which necessarily this stops for us, at least in the short mm -hmm. term, because these questions are still there. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's, I completely agree. And also it's, it's one thing that I've tried to learn myself is to have to be okay with the, the, uh, with the not knowing, like it's, you're out of your comfort zone in that way, but just it helps in some 
sort of twisted way to know it could that nothing is a for sure thing no. so I feel like once you're able to sort of internalize that things may never go back to the way they they probably won't and that everything comes in waves well uh, as we know it's just it's a lot easier to sort of sit there and to be like you know what maybe this sort of safety that I thought in my head maybe now I have to think about it a little bit differently it's easier said than done obviously but you make a very good point about that for sure and then if we have things to look forward to or if we're more um you know kind of present tense or Mm -hmm. like short to medium term tense focused it's able we're able to kind of get on with things a little bit better if we have Mm -hmm. those things to look forward to whether it's you know like a meal with a friend or a vacation or, mm-hmm. or whatever. We'll have those kind of midpoints of things to kind of little things to look forward to in our lives again that will bring us mm-hmm. some joy. Yeah, no, I've found that the whole concept of maybe like really trying as much as possible to live in the now and to find small things that you can go about, that you can sort of do in your day, even though maybe before all this happened, this would have been very insignificant or things that we might perceive to be sort of mundane like we can always find some like small joys in doing and doing things repeatedly like again back to routine and stuff I think that's definitely how a lot of people have been able to sort of keep a hold onto themselves and like their sanity and keep progressing in that way is just uh now you I guess you just have to look at things differently and really appreciate any sort of thing that you can just keep doing if that makes sense I don't know if that was really repetitive but no, it makes yeah sense. for sure mm-hmm. I think it's worth repeating <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just gotta drill it into your head you know <laughs> I, I, I found a lot of people have um especially a lot of young people like on TikTok and all those social media apps like we've been trying to sort of romanticize our lives in some way even though right now everything seems at many times just bleak everything seems just not great but if you really take the time to actually focus and try to enjoy what you can it makes a huge difference for sure yeah yeah 100 i hope uh, i hope people your age Bo, are taking notes right now because you're reminding <laughs> me of some good sensibility at the same time there were things i learned about myself in this in this pandemic that i probably it would have taken a few more years for me to even realize that I need to do some inner work or anything like that. So it's definitely a, a good, a good thing in some ways. I mean, well, again, it's a privilege for me to say that, oh, this has been good for me in some ways, but you know, I just definitely have to acknowledge that for sure. I would agree. So that, yeah. For a lot of people, it's, it, you know, if you're able to process it that way, it can be a chance for a reset. Um, mm-hmm. you know, easier said than done when it's a short-term situation. It's been, this has been long-term, but it is a chance to, I mean, wipe the slate clean of all the routines and all the little, you know, things that you had in your life and kind of like, this is a chance to reset. This is a chance mm-hmm. to go inside or just wipe the slate clean and figure out what, what's going on it later. What's going to go on it next. It's going to work better. And what's already happened that that you want to intentionally keep as part of your life whenever we return to what our next normal looks like right everything from the silly to the to the profound whether it's baking your own bread with the sourdough bread craze whether you've pruned your friendships to the people that really matter to you whether people have learned a new skill gotten a certification 
or picked up a new hobby, right? there. That's all part of things that for most of us, we might not have had time to do, mm-hmm. right? If we can find something out of all of this to move forward with that we're genuinely better for, there's a little bit of peace of mind with that as well. Yeah, no. My mom actually, uh, my mom is 55 and she just discovered her new passion for graphic design. So I'm really happy for her that she was sort of able to find her niche like within this um, within this time. Like, in fact, she's even more proficient with technology, more so than I am. So definitely happy for her as well. I mean, we all find we all found our way to keep our head above the water and you know, even thrive, like not even, not even just survive, but just really sort of flourish in this time. Um, so to everyone that did that, like, that's definitely an amazing thing for sure. It's inspiring for sure. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things actually was a trend and continues to be is I think we've been hearing about how people have been learning new skills. Uh, never before has learning online been uh, so, um, rife with with possibilities and uh and uh you know uh, capacity of people uh, taking advantage of the moment and and so that's inspiring and i just want to throw in this is for lynn's benefit the resilience toolbox was a term that uh i was using with a colleague uh about a year ago and i think one of the things and melanie talked about how you know uh physical and mental will go together once we start walking it's sort of like you know uh, achieve uh, two things for for one activity is that mentally you feel better for moving i think meditation and, and breath um is is um as a lot of people have come to appreciate more so now i don't think we can convey that enough in terms of whether you think of it as a coping skill uh, but more specifically, I think it's how we recenter, how we recalibrate and renew. And we start a day is just maybe even in bed, taking a minute and 10 deep, slow, long breaths. Um, and, you know, before those uh, worries or anxiety have a chance to really set in for the next day, before, certainly before you check the news. And your phone. Mm-hmm. If you do at all. <laughs> sure. And then after you've checked the news, right? That's the thing. I think people are getting better at recognizing the physiologic signs of anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. I feel tightness in my chest. I'm not breathing very deeply. My heart is pounding. My palms are sweaty. My mouth is dry. That's that moment to drop into to deep breathing, to drop into meditation, to engage our parasympathetic nervous system to tell ourselves we're okay, that return to mindfulness. So yes, thank you, Barry, for pointing that out. And just to add as well, is sometimes taking, again, going for my theme of the physical, physical body, it's also the physical environment. Sometimes when you take action, you take physical actions, it gives you a sense of, of having more control, which is very real in your, of your environment, both your internal environment when you do a physical exercise like walking or anything you can, and also changing certain things in your physical environment can have a huge impact on how you feel. Um, adding color, adding, adding plants, you know, adding flowers, if you can clean up and declutter a little bit. So having a physical space where you feel, in essence, you're reflecting kind of the person that you are or want to strive towards can have a huge impact 
um, just, just to add a little thing here is I, I started a little side gig, you know, during this pandemic, it comes something completely unrelated to um, my profession as a mental health counselor. But, um, you know, I love color and I love food and I love giving people things. So I decided to start this little business um, with food grazing boxes, charcuterie boxes and brunch boxes. So I get together this beautiful assortment of colorful, healthy, decadent treats. And I put it together with flowers and food in one beautiful box. And for people that want to want a gift to someone, this is what I send. And I give it to family members and friends for myself, but it's been a way for me to kind of share a feeling of wellness. And it's a physical representation of something that I want to do for people inside. So it's just an idea to, to help people understand that your physical environment can really, really help um, impact on how your internal well-being is. So take whatever actions you can. Take whatever actions you can. No, thank you so much. Yeah, that's a great point that we can maybe close our discussion for today. But again, I want to thank everybody for coming on the podcast. You definitely gave some fantastic insight. You can keep listening to the Inside Out Live podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So that's it for today. So thank you again.